All right, so today I'm just going to tell you, today feels a little luxury to me, like my message feels a little luxury. Uh, so just bear with me, all right? Cool? And if you want to take notes, it might be a good day to take notes. Sound, sound good? Yeah. All right, we're, I, th I think we're going to have to think on this one a little bit more. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start. Let's do this. Uh, I'm in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, and it goes like this. Uh, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Okay, where are my rebellious people? Not as many as first service. First service was lowly attended, but everybody was rebellious. <laughs> this one is a little different. Um, I, I was rebellious. I still am a little bit rebellious. Uh, one time when I was 21, I went to this place, Brother Jimmy's. Y'all know Brother Jimmy's, right? It's a terrible, terrible place. In the best kind of way. And uh, I went, and, and uh, you know what I did? I got the fishbowl. Y'all know the fishbowl, right? It's got a lot of drinks in it and whatnot. And me and my friends, we drank it together. We had a great time. And uh, I, I came home, and the next day I, I was reading scripture. I was in this, you know, this program, and I'm reading scripture. And I come across this passage, and I'm like, oh, you know, like, I was really wrong. Like, I indulged last night, and I need to make amends to God. So I prayed, like, God, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I shouldn't have drank the mixed drink fishbowl at Brother Jimmy's, and I'm sorry for, like, actually being at Brother Jimmy's and all this, right? And, um, and, and God was like, good, because that's a tourist place. Don't go there again. And all this, right? So, so um... So what happened was, uh, the, the truth of the matter is, even though I felt guilty, even though I felt anxious, even though I felt a little bit like, oh, I don't know, am I in good standing with God because of what I did? I got to tell you, I liked reading this passage. I liked it. You know why I liked it? Because it's a really clear passage. There's a lot of clarity here. Basically, the passage tells us what we need to do to be right with God, right? It gives us three or four things that we need to do. Don't give in to your sensuality. Don't be greedy. Don't indulge. You're going to be a-okay, Right? And I'll tell you what, we love clarity, don't we? Unless we are a non-affirming but welcoming church to the LGBTQIA community, we love clarity. <laughs> Bottom line. But I digress. We love clarity, right? We, like, we want to know where we stand. We want to know how many followers we have. We want to know how many friends we have. We like to know people's personality types because it brings clarity. So we go to the person that says to us, oh, you're, you know, I'm a three, right? And we go, oh, you're a three. Everything makes sense now. I can now talk to you because I understand your threeness, right? We, we, we like that. If you know the Enneagram, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but we like uh, uh, creating categories and creating ways of identifying each other because uh, at the end of the day, we love clarity. We like to know what generation we're a part of because we're defined by generations. Now I'm a part of Gen X, we're the forgotten generation, and all of us are going through crisis right now. But at least I know where I stand. At least I know who my people are, right? This is the thing. Uh, um, and we like this kind of clarity. We like to have it in every aspect of our life. Uh, and we especially like to have it in our Christianity. We love clarity in our Christianity. So passages like this, whether we want to admit it or not, are perfect for us because they provide the clarity we need to make sure we're right with God. Now here's the thing. When we think about God this way, God is no longer the infinite and unimaginable. God becomes the policeman in the sky. Okay, And what the policeman in the sky does is he goes, okay, no indulging, no sensuality, no greed, none of that thing, and, and you're good to go. You check the boxes, you're good to go. Uh, but if you do those things, 
you know, there's a chance in which you're going to have some eternal torment coming your direction, right? And this is absolutely prevalent in the way that we think about American Christianity. In fact, there was a pastor last week who tweeted this. He tweeted, God cares more about your happiness than you do. He's so serious about your joy that he threatens hell if you refuse to find it. And so the thing with the great policeman in the sky is that policeman gives you the checklist and it becomes a blanket list. So no sensuality whatsoever. So what do we do? We create purity culture, right? And so no indulgence whatsoever. So what do we do? It's like the self-flagellating Puritan culture that uh, we create in the sense like, I shouldn't indulge. I should always be selfless. I'm going to take steps back. It's like, back to the Enneagram, it's the unhealthy too. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm going to take steps back. And then with greed, we don't quite know where we stand. So we end up making choices that don't quite make sense. So, you know, I remember reading this, something like this, not this particular passage when I was a kid, and I had a bowl of ice cream, and my sister goes, can I have your bowl of ice cream? Not just a bite, like the bowl. <laughs> and like, I remember reading something like this, and I was like, if I don't give her the bowl, God's going to think I'm greedy. So I like, gave her the whole bowl. I, that was upsetting, you know? Like, <laughs> you don't want to do that as a kid. But what we do is we make blanket statements. We make blanket statements and we create blanket sins. And so now this is a sin forever. And it doesn't matter what we kind of, it doesn't matter if it hurts us. It doesn't matter if, you know, I want to think of purity culture, the way it shames us, right? It's a, don't, don't do it, right? Because if you do it, there's eternal torment. And the Christianity that happens in that way isn't a Christianity that's any love, anything about being loved or loving. It's nothing about having any kind of relationship. All it is is, a fa is the idea that humanity is a problem to solve. Okay, So when we don't do the right things, God is separate from us. God says, I don't want to be around you because you're a sinner. And I have a problem and i got to solve that problem. And the way I solve that problem is by giving you Jesus. But don't mess up after I give you Jesus. Otherwise, like the prominent pastor tweeted, there might be an eternal torment from you should you not do it right. Okay, What else is the issue with this kind of Christianity? This is a selfish Christianity. This is a privileged Christianity. Why is it selfish and privileged? Because it's about you and your connection to the policeman in the sky and whether or not you're going to go up to the policeman in the sky or down here. All right? and, and, and privileged people can think about that. Right? Privileged people have the time to think about it. People in power can think about it that way. So you could see racism happening in our city and you could go, oh my gosh, racism is happening in our city. Instead of doing anything about it, what you do is you say, well, that doesn't affect me. And it doesn't affect my standing with God. And so because it doesn't affect my standing with God, it's not going to be my issue. I don't have to fix that system. Um, I say this all the time, and I'm going to say it again. The thing that I cannot stand, the worst thing in the world to me, the thing that makes me want to punch people in the face, <laughs> is when somebody says, we don't have a social problem, we have a sin problem. I cannot stand it. Why? Why can't I stand it? Because what you're really saying is you're really saying, I've taken care of myself and I followed the right rules in a passage like this and I'm doing it right, but, but, but you're not. And if you just did it right like I was doing it right, you would get this thing figured out and we wouldn't have any problems in our society, right? So basically what we're doing when we say we don't have a, so we don't have a social problem, we have a sin problem, is we're absolving ourselves from any responsibility to fix what's going on here right now, right? That is what we're doing. And so it's, it's brutal. It's, it's this thing that we live. It's become the epitome of American Christianity, and it defines the way we talk about sin. Okay, so how do we talk about sin? I'm going to read it for you. I would say sin is that which qualifies a person, uh, or I'm sorry, that which qualifies a person for God's separation and judgment. And God's judgment is a punitive action whereby sinners are sent to hell. 
Okay, do we get that? That's what we believe. We create these blanket statements. We check off boxes. Uh, should we do the wrong thing? We're separate from God. And if we continue to do the wrong thing, we go to hell. That's a little bit of a scary thing. I'm reading this book right now called The Universal Christ. Anybody read it? It's good. I'm reading it for the... Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, uh, this is what it says in that book. It says, Christianity becomes anything punitive, shame-based, exclusionary of wrong people, or anything that justifies the status quo, which just happens to be keeping us on top socially, economically, and religiously. We start thinking that's what religion is about, maintaining order and control. Now, here's the deal. We're in this series called Transformation. Okay? And in this transformation series, we're talking about what it means to become mature followers of Christ. That's what we're working to do. We're working to work in ourselves to become mature followers of Christ. Now, you've heard me say, if you've been here for any extended time, that I want to see our church be a part of the ushering in of the next 500 years of Christianity. Right? And I've said that. And the way that we make that happen is by changing what's happening here, transforming what's happening here. And so what I want to do is I want to do some transforming about in the ways that we think about sin. Okay? We're going to do that today. Is anybody else really hot in here? Yes. Yeah. Can we, can we find somebody who could turn down the air? I thought it was just me. I was like, am I? What's going on with me? Um, if we could find somebody who could do that, that'd be great. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, so what was that? Too many cents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He gets it. He gets it. I love it. So here's the deal. Uh, as we think about transformation, I think about our church and the way we started talking about uh, about three years ago. We started saying we're going to start thinking about Christianity a little differently. In fact, some of us call it progressive Christianity. And the weird thing that happened when we started talking about progressive Christianity is that it, it threw a bunch of us into crisis. And it threw a bunch of us into crisis because now we didn't know where we stood with the policeman in the sky, right? Now things were looking a little different. So people were like legitimately coming up to me and going, hey, uh, am I going to go to heaven? or hell? Like, what's going to happen? Like, you're not really helping me to figure that out. Or how far can I go sexually with my significant other? Like, I, purity culture used to run my life, and now, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then, like, legitimately, parents would be like, hey, I want to take my kids to Hershey Park, but are they allowed to miss church? And, you know, again, we like clarity, right? And so it was this crisis where people were like, I need clarity, and this doesn't, progressive Christianity doesn't do it. I believe that it does, and I believe that it does it in healthy ways, and I believe it does it in healthy ways that allow us to thrive. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And like always, I say that we need to jump in to the context and the culture of this passage, right? And so we have this passage that we read that gives us a seeming list of sins, um, but here's what we want to do. We want to look at uh, what's around the passage. And when we look at what's around the passage, we see Ephesians 4.13, which says this. It says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Where are my Catholics in the room? Again, first service had way more Catholics. <laughs> way more, right? That's why they got up, because they felt guilty. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's true. Uh, you know what the word Catholic actually translates to? It translates into universal love. Universal like, that's beautiful, right? And so back when Jesus ascended into heaven or did whatever Jesus did when Jesus left, um, we, people called themselves Catholic. They said, I'm a part of a universal love. 
It wasn't until about three, four hundred years later when the Roman Empire got a hold of Catholicism that it all went downhill, right? But up until that point, the thing that pe- the thing that, I'm not going to engage with that. The thing that the thing that people knew, or the thing that people um, they, they knew that they were universally loved. That's what they knew. Part of being a Christian was being universally loved. And when you're universally loved, you, Christianity does not start with a problem that God is separate from us. Christianity in, instead starts with the idea that God is always with us, that God does not leave us. And God says, you are my child. And as my child, my intention for you is to find the fullness of Christ. That is my intention for you. So I want you to find the fullness of humanity. And we ask, Well, what does the fullness of humanity look like? And God goes, it looks like Jesus Christ. Look at Christ, you'll see the fullness of humanity. Okay, And so that is how we are designed. We're not designed to be separate. We're not a problem. God says, I designed you to be a part of the fullness of Jesus Christ, the fullness of humanity. Now, are you doing that? That becomes the question. Are we bringing the fullness of humanity, the fullness of Christ in ourselves? Are we seeing it in ourselves? And are we seeing it in each other? So when we look at it from that perspective, God says, I want you all to be Catholic, right? Understand that you are universally loved. Understand that. And so when whoever's writing uh, Ephesians, and most people think it's Paul, although there's some debate on it, we have to look at it through that idea. Paul's saying, hey, we, we need to bring the fullness of Christ in ourselves and in others. So what's happening in Ephesus when Paul writes this? Why would Paul be so upset that he would tell people their hearts are hardening and they're giving in to sensuality and they're giving in to greed and they're giving in to indulgence? Well, the goddess Artemis was in Ephesus, okay? And the goddess Artemis was a fertility god, and so you worshipped the goddess in a a myriad of ways. But one of the ways you did was you took young girls from their homes, and you, um, in a ritual, in a ceremony, you got rid of all, uh, anything that would mark this child as a child. So clothes, toys, trinkets, whatever it may be. And then you took that child from their home, you brought them to the temple of Artemis, and they were married off to a man. That's what happened, right? So... In a sense, what was going on in terms of indulgence, in terms of sensuality, was for, it's child rape. That's what's happening. They were raping children. They were taking children and forcibly bringing them into marriage. And so now we don't think about sensuality as, as a blanket statement that's something that we have to um, absolve ourselves from or stay away from, right? But the question we ask around sexuality and sensuality is, is the way that I'm operating in my sensual being, in my sexual being, is that bringing the fullness of humanity or is that taking away from the fullness of humanity? And what the writer of Ephesians is saying is saying, by having child rape literally happen, you are taking away from the fullness of Christ. You're taking away from a Christ intended, what God intended. Stop doing this. Stop. Your heart is hard, right? See, it's not this blanket, everybody stop doing it. It's pay attention. Is this way that you're living your life bringing the fullness of Christ? Or is it not bringing the fullness of Christ? Let that gauge your decision. Let that gauge the way you operate. So uh, when you went to worship at uh, uh, the Temple of Artemis, you had to go through a bank first. And when you went to the Bank of Artemis, you would buy silver and gold. And you would give that to Artemis uh, at the temple, right? So when you bought silver and gold, they charged exorbitant prices. In fact, what would happen is when you went to the temple of Artemis, uh, the prices would be so exorbitant, you would often go into debt in order to get the silver and gold. And so what you would do is you would give the silver and gold to Artemis and the bank that you bought it from, go right around the back, grab the silver and gold again, sell it to the next person. It was a scheme, right? It was was an economic uh, exploitation of people. 
So now let's talk about what Paul is seeing. Paul is seeing a group uh, that not only is exploiting people economically, right, but they're indulgent and they're greedy in the way they're doing it. What Paul is saying is you are not showing the fullness of Christ by running this economic scam. And the truth of the matter is this bank uh, in the known world at the time was the biggest bank in the world because of this scam. And in fact, when Paul went to preach there, Paul preached, and while he was preaching, uh, people from the bank organized about 25,000 people, that's what they think, to run Paul out of town to preserve the power that the bank had within Ephesus. Right? So you see that we're not talking about blanket sin issues that are going to send us to hell or send us to heaven. What we're talking about here are issues where we are um, stopping people from experiencing the fullness of Christ through exploitation, uh, uh, through um, exploitation of children, uh, through indulgence of oneself at the sake of others, right? And so what Paul is saying is saying, pay attention to whether or not you are bringing the fullness of Christ. Pay attention to that. So it changes the way we think about sin. Sin all of a sudden isn't a checklist for the big policeman in the sky, because there is no big policeman in the sky. Our God is saying to us, I love you so much that you are universal, you are Catholic, and all I want for you to do is to be like Jesus and to bring the kingdom of heaven to this place. Can you do that? Will you do that? And so now we say, yeah, we will, but we're going to redefine it all. It means that when we do talk about racism, we can't stand over here and we can't go, well, this is just about me. Right? We have to go, oh my gosh, there are people in my life who are being marginalized by a system and that does not bring the fullness of Christ to them, so I need to help do that thing. And if I don't, well, that's an issue. That's a sin. Right? It's harder to think about it that way. It's way easier to have a checklist where we just check it off, we got it right, we got it wrong. Right? Now we're thinking about every single situation that we go through. Are we bringing the fullness of Christ or are we not? So think about drinking a fishbowl drink. And I thought about this recently. I was like, I remember that night still. That night was a long time ago, right? And I was like, that was a great night. I hung out with old friends. We reconnected. We laughed a lot. Can you drink a fishbowl drink at Brother Jimmy's and have it bring the fullness of Christ? Yeah. I was a witness to that. Can you drink a fishbowl drink at Brother Jimmy's and not have it reflect the fullness of Christ? Yes. I've been a witness to that. But do you see that we can't make a blanket statement anymore? Do you see that it's each individual action and interaction that we have to decide? Like I said, it becomes harder, but we become fuller because of it. Can we express our sexuality and our sensuality in a way that brings the fullness of Christ to ourselves and others? Yes, absolutely we can. Can we express our sensuality and sexuality in ways that don't? Yes, of course we can. We're no longer making these judgments. What we're doing is we're taking each individual action and saying, God, I know that you, are, uh, uh, you universally love me and you want nothing more than for me to experience the fullness of Christ. And so now I'm going to work on that with every interaction that I have, with every action that I take. Right? That is what we are saying instead. So what do we do with this? I'm going to use this word that if you've come to this church for a long time, you know I love this word. Love it. It's Repent. Who else loves the word repent? Come on. <laughs> Nobody except Robbie. Well, a couple people. I love it. You know why I love it? it? It's been ruined. The word repent has been ruined by dudes holding signs at Marilyn Manson concerts. <laughs> That's, it's been ruined, right? But it's a great word, and it's a great word because it simply means to change your mind. That's what it means. 
change your mind to the possibility that there is not a policeman in the sky out to get you and that you have to fill out a checklist, right? Pay attention to that. Change your mind about that. Change your mind about the fact that you already are loved, that God sees you as Catholic, universally loved, and wants nothing more than to have the fullness of humanity reside in you. Change your mind about that. That's a hard thing to do. Um, how many people have heard it said, you ever hear where somebody will say, it's usually people who are homophobic that are actually gay? Have you ever heard people say that? Uh, the writer Megan Amram says my absolute favorite thing. She goes, people who are arachnophobes are usually spiders. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> I love it. Every time it makes me laugh for like a good five minutes. But here's my point. My point is this. The way that I think most of us in this room have to repent first and foremost is we have to love ourselves first. We have to start by believing that there is a God that is not out to get us. we got to start believing that, 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 that there are times where we have done things that actually brought the fullness of Christ, even though we might have been taught differently or told differently. The truth of the matter is when we don't love ourselves the way God loves us, we're not going to love others the way that God loves them. That's the bottom line. It's why it's so easy for us to exclude other people. Get it right over there. I exclude you. And the reason we exclude and we, we divide and all that is because we don't think that we're deserving of the love of God. We feel excluded. We feel like we haven't done enough. It's way easier to, to judge somebody else. It's way easier to condemn somebody else when we feel like we should be condemned. And so the way that I think we need to repent first and foremost is by recognizing daily that we are absolutely loved by God, not a policeman in the sky, but a God who calls us God's children and a God who says, I want nothing more than for you to experience the fullness experience in Jesus Christ. Repent. Change your mind. And then secondly, when we don't have it figured out, when we're not bringing the fullness of Jesus Christ, when we're not bringing the fullness of humanity to others, let's confess that that's the truth. Confession is a great thing. I used to not believe that. I read, about, I read some science on it, and it says that when we confess to one another and we confess you know, kind of out loud or, or, or have people hold us accountable, it actually changes our brain chemistry. Did you all know that? Makes us more gracious, makes us more joyful, makes us more loving, because we're willing to tell people where we've messed up. We're willing to be vulnerable. And so if we're going to repent, if we're going to change our mind, change your mind about, about you know, keeping things here. And if we're going to be a community that ushers in the next 500 years of Christianity and transforms, then don't be afraid to say, I've messed up. Don't be afraid to say that there have been times that I have not brought the fullness of Christ to myself or others. Don't be afraid to say that. That's how we heal. It's how we get better. It's how we find grace. It's how we find joy. And amen that there's not a God up there waiting to send us to hell like some pastors think. Thank God that there is a God up there who says, I see you in your brokenness. Guess what? You're still Catholic. You're still universally loved. That is good news. That's how we repent. I think transformation will take time. If you were here last week, you heard Aaron say that it's a grind, right? And I think we have to get ready for the grind. We have to get ready to, as, as we think about sin differently, it's going to be harder than just making a checklist. And to confess is going to feel harder than keeping it in here and pretending we have it all together. But there is a God who wants nothing more to see us live out the fullness of Jesus Christ, the fullness of humanity. And that itself is the news that we take with us every step of the way. So here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to end. If you're able, will you please stand with me? <clears throat> this is a prayer that um, somebody gave me when I was sort of going through this idea of transition or transformation with sin. Um, 
And I want to show it to you. And it's just a, a way that we can, we can check ourselves every day. It's just a way that we can go ahead and think about bringing the fullness of humanity to ourselves and others every day. So if you want to close your eyes, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to kneel, do whatever you want. I'm going to go ahead and read this prayer for us. And feel free to, to, to do it for yourself as well. God, how am I partnering with you to bring peace in my community? How am I doing that with others? How am I showing love to my enemies? How can I communally respond to bring peace? And yes, how are my actions affecting the others around me? Are my actions helping or hurting? God, thank you for not being separate from me in those questions. Thank you that Jesus isn't a part of your violent wrath. Help me instead to be the light that Jesus brings, that brings the good news to others. Amen.